Welcome to the Be Your Own Muse podcast. I'm your host, Katie Skinner. I'm a certified life and success coach, wellness junkie, career writer, keynote speaker, mentor, serial entrepreneur, and big time dreamer. My podcast is for the self-love junkie, the creative hustler type with the big heart, spiritually curious dreamers and believers out there who want to tap into their own magic. This podcast is for you if you want to tune out the noise and tune into your heart. Time to say no to what's not aligned and say yes to what your soul craves. Grab the microphone, Rockstar, because when you are your own muse, you are unstoppable. Hey guys, um, welcome back for another episode of Be Your Own Muse, the podcast. (sighs) I just have to say, it feels so good to just create. If you are a creator of any sort, if you are a service provider in any shape or form, and you create with the intention of it producing a result in another person. So for example, if you are creating a product or creating art, creating anything, you're putting out some type of energy out there. Um, and you are hoping for, you know, creating it for the, in- the intents and purposes of producing an expected reaction in somebody else. Uh, meaning, so let's say that you're creating br- your branding so that people buy it. You're m- making a podcast so that people listen to it and like it and, you know, buy from you, enroll in your courses, um, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> you probably know what that feels like in some shape or form. Uh, you know, maybe back in, in high school, like, making art so that you get a good grade, you know, following the exact rubric so that you get a good grade. (sighs) Then you may know how it feels to create for the sake of creating, not having to worry about what other people think, just creating. I really honestly believe that what I do, everything I do is art. Um, this podcast is an art project of mine. I believe that my voice and the way that I tap into it, the way that I tell my stories, I, you know, the way that I transmute what's going on in the world around me and turning that into a podcast, bottling it up, bundling it, creating it, putting it out there, promoting it. I, I see it more as an art than a science. Um, so Anyway, as you probably know already, what I want to talk about in this podcast episode, I want to start touching on something that I feel very heavy and strongly and like it takes up a lot of space in my brain and my body to talk about. Um, And I haven't talked about it as much as I wanted to because I'm like, well, I'm not an expert. Like, who do I think I am or what is somebody going to say about that? You know, typical classic stuff. (laughs) And then I had this realization 
this reminder, this reminder, right? I knew this already, but the reminding that we, that we will all, are all being judged all the time. We really are judging all everybody all the time. We are constantly being judged and to be okay with it. It takes, for me, it took like kind of a domino effect. Like one domino had to get knocked down. So the other one, the other one, other one, pretty soon that whole line is down. So for me, it wasn't an overnight thing. You might feel like it's an overnight thing. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, I actually suddenly, because of this experience I just had, significantly care less what people think about me. However, to really embody, quote unquote, not caring what other people think about you, accepting judgment, it is a domino thing. It is like a like click, 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 click. Pretty soon the whole line is down. And if one domino gets stuck, that's okay. Just kind of recalibrate, (laughs) move on. Um, So what I really want to talk about today is luxury and my relationship with luxury and poverty trauma. So luxury and poverty, poverty trauma to me are opposites. Poverty trauma is the the, the scars, the, and I think of scars and I think of scabs when I think of the word trauma. So if somebody is dealing with post-traumatic stress trauma or PTS, PTSD, whatever you want to call it, when somebody is dealing with PTS, any type of trauma, even if it didn't directly happen to them, they are still dealing with the, kind of the, the remnants of it, the trauma of it, the aftermath of it. So... For example, our culture right now, I strongly know, <laughs> believe, feel that our culture right now is dealing with the trauma of, you know, the Great Depression and um, genocides and uh, colonization, like the the murders of indigenous tribes and, you know, Christopher Columbus coming in here and, and colonizing the land um, you know, that happened hundreds of years ago. Um, some of it happened decades ago. Racism, Jim Crow. I believe that we are dealing with the trauma of that, even though there are some people out there, unfortunately, who believe like, well, that was in the past. It's in the past. We are still dealing with the trauma of it. So that's a little bit more of an extreme heavy example. I'm not going to get into all that in this podcast episode, although I do have feelings about it. Uh, that's not what really this episode's about, but kind of having an understanding of that will help as we go forward in this podcast. Um, so when I say poverty trauma, it does not mean the numbers in the bank account. So when people think of rich or poor, they think, okay, well, I can't be poor because I have this number in the bank account. Or I feel abundant, I feel good, I feel luxurious, but the number in my bank account is small compared to like someone else's or how I think it should be. Forget about the numbers for the entirety of this episode. I am never going to be addressing or pertaining the importance of pod- uh, podcast, what? <laughs> um, bank account numbers. Sorry, I slipped up there. I'm never going to be saying, well, the number in the bank account is a million, so you can't be dealing with poverty trauma. No, everybody can deal with poverty trauma. Um, And so just kind of set that aside and think like a psychologist here while leaving out the numbers. Think about the emotions that are coming up. Think about the energetics. Think about 
what's happening in the spiritual realm, if you if you will, when it comes to luxury and poverty trauma. So, poverty trauma is dealing with the scarring, the scabbing, the wounding around poverty. So, in my family lineage, there it was extreme poverty. Meaning, not thinking about the number in the bank account, because I can't tell you the number in my parents' bank account. I don't know what the number in their bank account is, really. I never really knew. But the habits that my parents had, the language they had around money, the the kind of belief systems about the world were a, a, um, from poverty. Like, they were, like, my... Um, I'll, I'll get into it later more specifically, but like my parents were really good at saving. My mom was like always in save, saving trauma and spending money was really scary and getting her hair done was like, ooh, frivolous. And it's not about one incident. Like, okay, that was one time. No, it was like this repeated constant discuss, discussing around money. And I, I'm not the only one here. Like, I, I'm not, that's why I'm making this podcast because like I'm not the only one who this happened to. Um, and my parents were very good at saving and they had this attitude around, around like, we don't do those things. Our family doesn't quote unquote do, um, you know, go on these types of vacations. We don't, um, buy those kinds of things. Um, I know when I was a teenager, I really, 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 really wanted to wear name brand things because everyone in the school I went to had name brand things. I lived in a wealthy area, um, in a school in a wealthy zone, the zoning was very wealthy people. Um, and I, I can't speak for the bank numbers in their bank account versus the numbers in my parents' bank account. I can't really speak for that because I don't really know. Right. But there was more outward flash in the way that these people were living than in the way that my parents lived. I believe that based off of my parents, um, poverty trauma, my parents, uh, they both had a lot of siblings and they lived like very humble means. They both lived on farms. My mom had a lot of siblings. I think she had 11 siblings. My dad had five. Um, so there was like not enough to go around all the time. There was no frivolous spending. You can't buy a fancy car if you have 12 children to feed. Like you could, you know, separate that cost out between your children so that all of your children can get new clothes for the next few years versus one car. So there was none of that. And I always grew up with this impression that we were poor and everyone else was rich. As I'm growing up, that's not necessarily true because again, bank account, totally irrelevant. But what I did notice was that other people's families were a lot quicker to spend their money in an outwardly showy way. Nice shoes, nice cars, nice houses, um, name brand things, fancy kitchen stuff. And my family was quicker to save that and get the bare minimum, the Walmart brand of absolutely everything. Um, I always wanted name brand stuff. I always wanted to wear Abercrombie and Fitch. And um, my mom didn't think that that was a priority <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, and, you know, looking cool, cool, quote unquote, feeling cool, quote unquote, was like not a priority, fitting in, quote unquote, not a priority. Um, she constantly said to me, like, just keep your head down, do your studies. You don't need to feel cool to get good grades. Like that, that, those two do not mesh. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. Just do your, do your schoolwork. Um, and, uh, 
<sighs> so I just like always had it in my head that I was like, oh, we're poor, we're poor, we're poor, we're poor. And of course, like, what did I know? I was a teenager. Um, and I learned through growing up when I talked to my, my friends, then they were getting, you know, becoming of age. They were like in their twenties moving out of their parents' house. I heard them friends who I always thought their families were rich because of the clothes they had, the cars they had, the house they lived in. Um, these friends of mine were taking out student loans or electing to not go to go to college at all or something else, taking some time off to save up, whatever, because their parents spent all their money on nice things and they could not help them with school or with their life after college at all. Whereas my parents paid for my college in full. So I really, really fear and resist talking about poverty trauma because college is like the most expensive thing ever. You know what I mean? Like, but it's not about the number in the bank account. It's not about that. It's about the language that my parents consistently used and what it put in my head about how the world works and how money works and like never going on nice vacations. I don't want to say never because we did travel a lot, but we never like had these vacations that my friends did. I thought this was just normal. Like, um, all inclusive retreats in Jamaica, Disneyland. I've never been to Disneyland, you guys. Um, I like my parents never took me to Chuck E. Cheese. Like they never took me to these like like commercialized fun places. They took me tra like traveled with me. They took me to Bolivia. Um, they took my little brother to Peru. I didn't go on that trip, but they took my little brother to Peru. We went to the Caribbean Sea many times, but they like took us and we like stayed in a shack. Um, and we like walked around the beach and like you know, snorkeled. Like, that's what we would do. Um, and my friends would, like, go to Disneyland and, like, stay in the Disney resorts and, like, you know, their parents would take... I, I just... I just always had this impression of... of um, everyone else just being wealthier than me. So, okay, that's poverty trauma. Luxury, to me, is a feeling. But it can be defined as anything that is in excess, like more than the baseline need. So I think about, okay, a first class airplane seat is a luxury compared to a seat where you just have a seat for your butt to sit down and just be on the airplane. I mean, some could argue that being on an airplane at all is a luxury. Um, <laughs> You could just completely argue that, like, well, being on an airplane completely is a luxury. I actually, uh, my brother-in-law once said to me, like, you know, if you've ever even been on an airplane, you are privileged. Um, and that's true. Like, you know, airplanes are not, they're, those are like a, definitely a middle class thing. Anyway, I digress. So, um, where was I? Okay, luxury. Okay, so like, think about a, a, a five-star restaurant. You could eat some bread and cheese and ham and, like, that would be a meal. Or you can have, like, fine dining. It's just, like, anything that is in excess. Anything that is, like, that that values, like, the details and the comfort, the aesthetics in the excess. Because you can sit in a chair 
Or you can sit on like a lazy boy with the recliner and the leg massagers and super cozy and a place to put your remote. That is luxury versus standard. Like, what do you need to get by? And I'm sure if you go grocery shopping or you are like purchasing something and there's like an option to upgrade, like option to get the, you know, do you want to get the 2% Walmart brand milk or do you want this like homestead creamery, like, uh, you know, farm local milk that is like more than just milk or, um, you, you know what I mean? I'm, you know what I mean? I could go on with examples. The airplane thing is a good example of first class seat with free food and, you know, flight attendants that are like at your beck and call and it comes with a blanket and whatever versus just a chair that you put your butt in to get you to the place. And I'm sure that there's times where you're like, no, 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 I don't really care too much <laughs> about the the luxury. I just need I just need a, I just need a chair. I just need a seat to get me there. Um, and that is that's an interesting dynamic. That's like an interesting kind of decision making process that I think about. Where I'm like, oh, how much do I care about comfort here? How much do I care about convenience? Um, I've actually, I've never sat first class on an airplane. I actually did one. Okay, so I sat first class on an airplane once when I was 17 years old. (laughs) I was, I know I was younger than that. I was like 16, actually. I was 16 and Delta Airlines messed up something. Like they overbooked me or something like that. They booked me a connecting flight that was too tight. And so to make up for me missing my flight, or it was an error on their end, um, they, um, they, sorry, they upgraded my flight to um, first class. And they don't always do that. Uh, That's not always a thing. Um, Because it's, that's happened to me many times before, where there's an error on their end, and they don't upgrade me. So whatever. Um, I sat on first class once and I really appreciated it. And I remember feeling like loving that luxury and being like, Ooh, how can I just like have this be my life? Um, I think I was like right at that age where I started to appreciate it. Whereas if it happened when I was like maybe 10 or 11, I don't think I really, really cared. Um, but (laughs) I was like at that age where I was like, I want this to be my life. Um, so anyway, um, I think about like the like when do you care about luxury versus when do you not care about luxury, um, and for me, there's this this uh, Catherine Zenkina manifestation babe. I listen to her podcast and she has an episode where she talks about wealthy now versus wealthy later and how she decides like should I invest in this thing now or sh- like should I enjoy the the wealth and the 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 now like can I play with my money now by enjoying this upgrade or having this thing or um you know looking on the the left side of the menu uh not looking at the price tag when you buy something um getting what you really want on the menu at a restaurant what have you um versus like actually I'm gonna put this aside I'm gonna save this myself uh, that, that I'm going to enjoy this later. I'm going to enjoy this money later, wealthy later, right? So she talks, she has a podcast episode about that. Um, I don't know what episode it is, but if you're interested, you should listen to it. I love the way that she talks about money. I think it's very smart, very refreshing. And also she, um, gets into the energetics and the woo woo and 
all that stuff. Um, so I want to read to you uh, an Instagram post that I made. Um, you might have already seen it, kind of depending on like who you are and how you found me. Do you follow me on Instagram? If not, it's at funky Aphrodite, all one word. Um, I want to read to you an Instagram post to set the stage for my story today. <sighs> you are royalty. If you have money and poverty trauma in your lineage, it is on your shoulders to never let your children see you put the good milk back because you can't afford it. It is a daunting task and I fight every day to undo the trauma of, quote, squeezing every penny until it screams, close quote, my mom's words. From going to school without breakfast or lunch while my classmates all had new iPods and $300 Lacoste sneakers. From being told I'll never know financial security by well-meaning family members because I devoured luxurious lattes and avocado toasts as a college student when that was all I could afford. So badly did I crave luxury at the time that a $7 toast was the world to me. And to equate that with potential consequences, traumatizing. From wearing my sneakers down until there were holes. From seeing my mom reuse dishwasher water to water her plants, the only luxury in her life. Undoing the fear of my roommate at age 18, having stolen money from my desk. All that I had in the world at that time and feeling like an idiot for even having any extra in the first place. Until now where I can actually donate instead of just signing the petition. Now when my excuses are, I want to and it's fun and pursuing pleasure instead of asking, what's the return of investment? Booking a premium hotel over the Las Vegas Strip because my creativity deserves expansion and mama needs a break. From playing life like it's a game and not a means to an end. From honoring my sexiest relationships, ship is my newfound relationship with money. One not rooted in stealing, lying, cheating, fear, scarcity, or why weren't you there for me? You suck. It feels like sipping hot cocoa, like getting in a jacuzzi, like talking all, taking, talking, taking all your friends to the beach, knowing you don't have any, knowing you don't have to keep your eyes glued to the, no, the news because your impact and purpose is so much bigger. It feels regal. I want that for you and I want it for you now. Somebody actually messaged me that, uh, messaged me after posting this and said that it, I made it sound like my parents didn't do the, the best for me that they were financially irresponsible <laughs> people. Um, to that person, I will have to say that the, you don't know my financial reality. Like you don't know, you don't know what, what I went through. You were not there. Um, as far as I know. Um, but I will say my parents did do their best for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. My parents did their best. I, like I said, I was, I always had food. Um, I mentioned earlier that I went to school without uh, breakfast or lunch. That was my own fear of, I didn't say this in the Instagram post because there's only so much you can say. And I think it, it's stronger to make a point instead of opening up all these doors in your argument and talking in circles. But now I can say I did not go to school without breakfast or lunch because my parents couldn't afford to feed me. That wasn't it. It was because of the trauma of feeling like I was, quote, taking food, like taking my parents' money, taking up space 
because of the language that they had around money, because of what I saw around me, because of the programming around me, not because my parents didn't have food, not because, you know, my parents, you know, my parents were gamblers or they didn't care or anything like that. And that is some people's reality. It was not mine. Uh, fortunately, my parents are very smart people, very financially savvy, but they equated in their language and their everyday, um, their everyday kind of routines, they equated luxury with danger and, um, not safe and bad people want these things. And, oh, you don't need that to be happy. Um, and for me, I just want to undo this programming. I want to, um, I want to shift the belief that like, oh, everybody has those fancy sneakers and not me. Uh, everybody else gets to have these fancy shoes. They get to have the fancy iPods and I cannot have that. Um, one thing that I will say in defense of luxury items. Um, so you you can say, you can make the argument for sure that luxury items come from ego. You can you can make that argument for sure. Um, you know, fancy high heels, fancy clothes, um, the newest whatever from Apple, the newest whatever from uh, the newest car. You can make the, the argument that that is all based in ego. However, you can also say that the higher self wants you to have tangible proof in your hand. I'm holding an iPhone 11 right now in my hand. That is tangible proof that I can have the things that I want. Uh, in front of me is a MacBook. Um, uh, sorry if you heard my dog bark. Um, okay, whatever. Um, in front of me is a MacBook where I'm looking at the notes for this podcast. Um, and it is proof that for me that thoughts become things because I remember growing up and all of my friends had a MacBook. They were like in middle school, high school, and they had MacBooks and I didn't, I still had like a, like a flip phone, you know, I didn't have my own laptop growing up and not it doesn't matter what the number in the bank account that my parents had it was me feeling like that meant everyone else can have these things except for me so when it's in alignment and i can afford it <laughs> and all that's holding me back is fear of what someone else will think about me i like to introduce the things that i wanted as a child into my into my closet into my, into my, um, items, (laughs) into my house, because it, it serves, serves as tangible proof that I can have what I want. So when I got this MacBook, actually, it came very in alignment for me. Um, I actually, I've actually really wanted one for a long time. My last computer just kind of crapped out on me. (laughs) It stopped working. Um, and I realized the amount of creative work that I do, you know, I, I uh, record podcasts and I edit, I Photoshop, I write a lot. I carry my computer all around from coffee shop to coffee shop. The computer that I had just could not withstand that work anymore. Um, I used to record my podcasts on my phone. I would literally put headphones in and talk to my phone when I'd record a podcast. So if you'll notice the earlier episodes, the audio is not gorgeous at all, Um I did what I could with what I had, which is like what I always teach, like do what you can with what you have, and then the tech will come together. And that's exactly what happened. So now, um, 
I, I knew that I needed a new computer. Um, and I actually found a new MacBook. It was like opened once and then returned instantly. So they kind of deducted the price for a price that I was paid by a client randomly. A client messaged me and was like, hey, I want to book this service with you. It's $800. Great. $800 was the price of this MacBook that I had been eyeing for so long. Uh, I think I, I, I thought about it <laughs> and it was 10 years exactly from the, the first time I coveted a MacBook to the time that it was in my hands. Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, I'm pretty happy about that. So anyway, where was I? Um, if, okay, so this is the story I want to get into. If you did not know, I spent the last two nights in a hotel in Las Vegas. I live in Las Vegas. I live in the suburbs of North Las Vegas. So I drove about 25 minutes to the Paris Las Vegas, which is one of the premium hotels on the Strip, um, right across on the Bellagio and the Cosmopolitan, if you're familiar. Um, like kind of next to the MGM Grand on the Strip. If you know the Strip, you've seen it. There's like the big Eiffel Tower and the big Paris balloon. Um, it's about 25 minutes from me. So why did I stay in a hotel when I, you know, I could have stayed in something cheaper, like a Motel 8, or um, I could have stayed somewhere else. Like, there are actually cheaper hotels in the Strip. Mind you, the Paris Hotel is not the most expensive one on the Strip. I think, um, I'm not sure which one is the most expensive per night on the Strip, um, it might be the Wynn or the Cosmopolitan. I'm not sure. Because they have some that are like $500 a night, like starting rates. Uh, that's not how much I paid. <laughs> not at all. Um, but I did want, uh, you know, I wanted to be high up. I wanted to be living that bad and bougie lifestyle. Um, that was a specific thing that I, I felt in my heart that I wanted. So there's a lot of things in my heart that I want. I want... Um, hmm, I want like a house with a huge porch. I want to live near the body, a body of water. Um, I want all nice furniture. I want uh, like a renovated bathroom. <laughs> I want a big kitchen. I want, um, I want a Tesla, one of the cars. Uh, I want a lot of things, but there's a difference between a thing that I want when I'm like, oh, that would be cool versus like, Ooh, I really want this and it's right in front of me and I want to grab it, but I just, I just can't, like I'm scared, you know? So for example, a Tesla is not in front of me right now. I do not have the money in my bank account for one. Um, I do not know anywhere that I can grab one for a way that is accessible to me. However, I still want it. It makes me happy when I see one. It's on my vision board, like great. But the hotel room in Vegas, the something about the like staying in the hotel room in Vegas by yourself and making it just like this staycation thing. It was just something that I wanted and I saw every day. I, you can see the strip every day uh, when I when I drive around. You can pretty much see the strip from almost wherever you are in Vegas. Um, and it's about a 20 minute drive from where I live. Uh, like if you go out to the grocery store, like you can see the strip, like it's just, it's just there. It's like a huge landmark. Um, like any, any city has their skylines and their landmarks. Anyway, um, 
that was something that I've always wanted. I remember being like a kid when we, when I grew up in Vegas, asking my dad if we could stay overnight at the Luxor or um, whatever. I wanted to stay at the Venetian. I just wanted to stay at all these nice hotels. Um, and uh, I just, I, it was just never like a good time or I just never did. And then one day I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So when I was there, I ordered room service. I got um, Chef Gordon Ramsay's uh, Beef Wellington. That was not cheap. Uh, I got breakfast most mornings. They have like these cute little uh, Parisian bakeries and coffee shops. Um, I took walks around the strip in the morning. I worked on my business. It was just like this, it was this luxury thing. I brought a lot of skincare products. I brought um, body masks. I brought um, just all my nice luxurious things. And I just like let myself receive for two days. I was there for, I checked in for two nights. So I was there for a little, for a little under 48 hours. Um, And it was, it doesn't seem like a lot. But there was something about, like, I've taken more expensive vacations. You know, I've, I've, uh, you know, pretty much <laughs> uh, in terms of dollar amount spent. So when I went to Sedona, I went to Sedona for two days. Um, my Airbnb and the, I went out to eat and I had like had gas, like I paid for gas. Um, I had like a food budget. That budget was more than my staycation in the the hotel. But for some reason, this st- staying in the Paris hotel, excuse me, in the middle of the week, um, by myself, felt like such a stretch. It felt, it felt hard, but, but exciting. So I was just so terrified to do this. Um, but I did it because I had a lot of work I needed to get done. Um, I, I launched the Creative Initiation, which is a, a course on how to integrate the intuition, the psychology, the, the energetics, the spirituality behind starting, like increasing an offer in your business, like adding on an offer. Um, basically opening up a portal on your business, adding a new stream of income. Um, and I had that, I had a bunch of calls and there was a lot of content I wanted to make. Like I wanted to film a bunch of reels, but I felt like I couldn't in my current house. So for those of you who aren't familiar or not, not didn't know, I currently live with my parents in Las Vegas. I live in their house and their spare bedroom. Um, because Evan and I were living in DC and then quarantine happened and then the lockdown happened and we and then Evan's um Evan graduated from Johns Hopkins in DC um and my uh i i mean my business is virtual um our lease was ending and i was like i don't we don't know what to do we don't really want to sign another lease and live in DC again if there's this so much uncertainty and i didn't know what was going to happen and Evan didn't know what was going to happen Um, so Evan actually started to kind of play with looking around at jobs in Las Vegas. Like, okay, maybe we can just move to Las Vegas, live with my parents. Um, I also wanted to felt like this pull to come back and like 
revisit my childhood and revisit this part of the world and being around my family. As some of you might know, my dad is really, really sick right now. And I just wanted to be present with him. Um, I wanted to be there for my mom. I missed my mom. So Evan was just kind of putting his feelers out for jobs in Las Vegas. And he found a really good one very quickly, higher paying than his one in DC, which is interesting because the cost of living in DC is a lot higher. Um, Anyhow, so it was just kind of like a win-win-win. So Evan and I are currently here in this house and I love living in this house and I love my family. But if you, as you can imagine, it just feels a little stuffy because all of us are working from home. There's me, my mom, my dad, um, my little brother and Evan, and we are all working from home. Um, and it can be hard because sometimes I want to record a podcast, but Evan is on a call with his students. Um, my mom wants to vacuum, but I am in a zoom meeting and there's just like never nobody home. Sometimes I want to like dance in the living room and like shake out my stress. I want to just like, like scream and like dance. And like, um, when we lived in DC, Evan would be gone all day, um, because he would go to go to school where he worked. He works in a school. He's a teacher. <laughs> um, he would be going to school and he would um, be gone all day. And I would have our apartment in D.C. by ourselves. Um, myself. Myself. And if I needed to scream, punch a pillow, dance, like stomp it out, whatever, I got to do that. And that was so helpful when it came to like breaking up stagnant energy in my business. Um, I'm kind of getting, kind of getting on a tangent here. I promise I'll, I'll come back to, back to the point. <laughs> I'm not going to just fly away forever. I have some, some notes here. Um, I have, I have some points that I want to make. So don't worry. Um, but this feels relevant. This feels very, very relevant to the background of the story. So, um, but now that there's like always somebody home, like I'm always wearing pants now. I can't like sit in my robe all day like I used to. I can't podcast loudly like I used to. Um, I can't take calls in my bed. Oh, I can take calls in my bed, but I don't really want to. Like I want to have the space. Um, I used to take calls like in my kitchen if I wanted to. I can't really do that. Um I mean, there's so many things that I gained from being here. Like my parents have a beautiful backyard. They have a beautiful patio. They have multiple rooms. They have a laundry room in the house. When Evan and I lived in DC, we had a laundry, uh, laundry room, <laughs> a laundry room, a paid laundry unit downstairs. So we had to like take our laundry downstairs, pay for it. And if you've done it, you know that some days it's not so bad, but sometimes it's really, really annoying. So anyway, um, anyway. I just was feeling like my best, most creative self was not coming through right now. And I felt this whisper, this inkling, this nudge that I needed to step out and give myself some space. And I felt I felt that intuitive nudge and I take my intuitive nudges very, very seriously. I have I feel like bound by the cosmos that anytime I get a download and my higher self knows that there's something I need to do, I have to do it because it means that it's going to lead me to what I want, the life of my dreams, the the things that I've been asking and praying for and manifesting. Um, So for me to kind of poo-poo that and be like, oh, I'm not going to do this. That's too hard. That's too weird. It doesn't make any logical sense. Um, 
I am basically poo-pooing the universe and trying to deliver me my dream life. And then uh, in a few months from now, I'm going to be like, why doesn't anything good ever happen to me? Like, okay, it's because you ignored these intuitive nudges that you've been sent. Um, so I knew when I got this intuitive hit to stay at the Paris Hotel, um, I felt this, I heard this voice in my head that was like, Katie, go stay at the Paris Hotel for two nights. Can't be one, two nights. And your energy is going to open up and so many good things are going to happen for you and shifts are going to be made. And it's just like that feeling, that clear feeling that this was going to open up a door. Um, like open up a window and when you look through that window, there's going to be something new that you've never seen before. And as, as you know, like that's kind of how life works is you take these, these risks that don't make a lot of sense and you get there and everything works out. So I felt majorly, majorly selfish doing this because if anybody needs a getaway at a luxury hotel, it's my mom. It's not me. I felt like, why don't I just give this to her? I dealt with all these feelings. I should give it to Evan. Like he works really, really hard and he makes a difference in his students' lives. And he always stays late for students who have questions. Like just make sure that these people have a good life. And my mom like holds everyone together. She's like really the integrator of the household. My dad is sick and like he needs a getaway. He needs fun. And I'm the one, you know, I'm the one who has the flexible schedule. I'm the one who gets paid to sleep, not to sleep in, but I sleep in, I do what I want, I eat what I want, I come and go as I please, and I'm the one who makes money, and I don't pay rent because I live with my parents, and so, like, why do I deserve this more than anyone else, and this voice that keeps coming is, like, it's not about deserving, it's about life paths, so it's not, I deserve a vacation, I mean, yes, I do deserve a vacation, we all do, But it's not like, sorry, guys, I work the hardest. I deserve a vacation. Peace the fuck out. Um, It was more like you asked for something and this is your logical step. You want creativity. You want expansion. You want your clients to feel taken care of. You want um, to channel like all these bad and bougie, luxurious vibes to the people who are looking at you as their expander. Like I... Um, the expander in my business, meaning I have to be pushing the edge constantly on what I believe is possible and what I know to be true. And um, I, so uh, I'm going to read a text. This is the point where I'm going to read a text that I sent verbatim. So if it sounds familiar and you saw it on my Instagram stories, then that's why it's familiar. But I'm just going to read this off to you. The reason that I went to the Paris Hotel was to get work done and film cute reels. If you follow me on Instagram, I I like posted a bunch of reels because I like had the space and I could play music loudly and I could dance and change my outfit and like make a fool of myself. Okay, film cute reels, but also to undo this idea from my nervous system. I'm talking about poverty trauma. It looks sexy and frilly, but it really is hard work. I had a panic attack this morning and screamed into a pillow in my hotel room and just had a hard fucking time upon checkout. I felt like such a fucking idiot and a fool. So I literally just screamed it out until I came home. I got home and saw my mom had an early birthday present waiting for me and I just about collapsed from guilt of receiving and being pampered when I felt like I do so little for the world. 
I just want to be an expander for others. I want others to play with their ladders of believability, the realm of possibility, and know they've barely scratched the surface from what this world shows us. So I kind of spoiled it a little bit, but to the the trip was the 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 staycation my time in vegas the paris hotel was expansive it was like whoa <laughs> i mean i've i've been to the strip many times i've walked around i've looked at the things i've seen the nice things i've we, we evan and i have gone out and gotten fine dining before um however however um, I've never like woke up in one or like went to bed in one. Like it was just like something that felt differently. Like maybe you feel differently. You you know what I mean? When it, like it feels different to visit somewhere versus, um, living there. And for me, it felt like staying somewhere for two days in like waking up, going downstairs and seeing all that luxury versus like just kind of passively visiting it, but pretending for two days that like that was your life and this was normal. And that's your morning routine. So both mornings I woke up and went downstairs and got coffee and a croissant and like walked around, got some fresh air. And something about like that intimacy of it being the first thing in the morning that you see, it felt real. It felt so real Um, versus just like, oh, I'm just here for dinner and then I'm going to leave. Like there's more of that touristy vibe versus like this is ingrained in my blood, in my DNA. Um, So... I got on, uh, I, 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 so there was that, (laughs) and it was just so new and interesting for me to have that space and to like feel that fresh energy. Because like I said, even when I lived in DC and I had, um, I lived in an apartment complex by myself and I had all day, I still felt stagnant in my energy. I still felt like, ugh, I could film, a video right now, but I just like, ugh, I just feel so stagnant because we need to refresh our spaces often. Um, if you don't engage in like engage, if you don't partake in a, um, energy clearing practice, um, that can look like many things. It, a common example is like Sage Palo Santo. You don't have to use Sage or Palo Santo. You can, um, use music, essential oils, incense. You can literally clap your hands, stomp your feet, use wind chimes, visualize um like you know a green bubble and like you're cleaning the space like all those things are great to clear the space and um feng shui is a big one I don't personally practice it because I don't know that much about it but the research that I've done is like where mirrors are where plants are where certain pictures are those can definitely um excuse me those can definitely affect the energy and the creativity and the flow in a room for sure. Uh, so there's that. So I must have not had very good feng shui in that room, that, that, that apartment, that apartment was also very, very small. And Evan and I owned way too much for an apartment that small. We just like owned a lot of things. We have a lot of books. We have a lot of trinkets. Um, we have a lot of, we had a lot of plants. Um, And then we had two dogs. So like two dogs, there's just like something where there's a lot of energy being collided all the time. So I just felt really stagnant all the time. Um, But I had to clear the energy and I didn't always feel inspired. And there's just like something about getting away and refreshing that energy that feels really, really, really fun and expansive. Um, So I 
kept getting comments all day on all the calls that I had that I looked so radiant and I like sat so what I I did was I sat on the floor for my calls because it felt good too there was a desk but I sat on the floor um I sat on the floor and I propped my laptop up on an end table and I would have the computer going and zoom would be pointing at me but I was facing the strip I was on the 28th floor when I was in the Paris Hotel and I was looking down at the strip. And that was just so inspiring to me as I was talking and I was looking out the window and I just like felt so high vibe. I felt like all these ideas were coming to me. I felt so good. Um, And like I said, I was getting comments about how radiant I looked. I was able to see the sunset over the mountains. And then I saw all the neon lights come on in Vegas. It was just such a good experience. Um. And I actually, side note, I packed enough food for this trip to never have to go out to eat. Um, so I, I went to Trader Joe's beforehand. I bought a couple things. I bought like cheese and crackers, um, cottage cheese. I brought grapefruits. I bought chips and dip. Um, I brought salads. I brought wraps. I brought kombucha, water, wine, like pretty much everything that you need to eat for two days. Um, however, I felt this nudge still to go to Gordon Ramsay's steakhouse. That was something that I've been wanting to do for a really, really long time. Um, uh, Gordon Ramsay has a couple pubs, grills, and steakhouses on, on the strip. And downstairs, right next to the elevator of my hotel room, there was his, I think it's just called Gordon Ramsay Steakhouse. I felt pulled. It wasn't even this like desire, this ego-driven desire. It was a pull. And that was new to me because when I was younger... I felt a lot of that ego driven, like, ooh, I want that thing because it has the name brand or whatever. Um, I felt zero desire to Instagram it, take a picture of it, show all my friends. I had no desire. I wanted to normalize this thing so much that I didn't even like take a picture of it or Instagram it or tell anybody, check in on Facebook or anything like that. I didn't do any of those things. Um, but I get to Gordon Ramsay's, um, Gordon Ramsay's steakhouse and I have my heart set on the beef Wellington um I saw a picture of it knew instantly that's what I wanted I had my heart set on it I get to the steakhouse and I'm ordering them I'm ordering pickup for them to take it to my room um and <laughs> I get there and I look at the menu and the beef Wellington is about the most expensive thing on the menu. There was even like a foie gras that was not as expensive. Um, it was $70 if you must know. Uh, <clears throat> I have never, ever, 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 ever ordered a meal at a restaurant that was that expensive. I think Evan and I for our anniversary, we split a king crab. That was $50. I think, I think it was $50 and we split it. That was like, but we budgeted for that and we saved it. And we like went out and like knew that that when we agreed on it and there was like somebody there who I could verify, like, is this okay? And he was like, yes, let's split the king crab. Boom. But something about me spontaneously going to the steakhouse, getting a $70 steak and, okay, so there's a lesson behind the $70 steak that I really want to share with you guys. I don't want to get too off track because I could talk all day. But I, I really want to, like, drill in this point on, like, what I took away from all of this. So, 
<sighs> anyway, I just get it. I'm like, fuck it. I get it. I get the booth Wellington. Um, I go back to my hotel room and I'm like so excited. I'm like, oh my God, this is so abundant and luxurious. And I'm like crossing my fingers that this is going to be the most orgasmic meal I've ever had in my life. And then they knock the door and I like pay for the thing. I tip. My total is about $90 at this point. <laughs> and um, I look at it and it's in this takeout container. It's not plated all sexy like it was in the picture. In the picture, it was like plated with like potato puree with like a garnish and like a swoop of gravy and all this like very, very sexy. And it is this takeout. So it's like not plated as sexy. It's like in a plastic box and I get it and I'm like, okay, whatever. I can't complain about the presentation too much because it's takeout. So whatever. And I cut it and eat it and it is not good. It is not disgusting, but I'm like, it, it just wasn't good. Like I was expecting, I had high expectations of like complex flavors and like a good feeling in my body and like angels and, you know, angel choirs of angels singing and like just this confirmation that this was the right thing to do. And I didn't get that. It was, it was okay. Um, and it made me think of like this one time when I got a latte and it was like six bucks because I got large and I got oat milk and I got vanilla or whatever and it was six dollars and I get it and it's like not okay um and I was just like well whatever I mean it's a latte it serves its purpose but I felt so humiliated by this I felt so embarrassed by this but then I realized that is the lesson of the 70 dollar steak just because you invested something, just because you put your money into something and you put all your pressure and you bet all your horses on it and you just like, we're like, this is the thing that's going to make me high vibe. This is the thing that's going to make me feel luxurious and good. Fingers crossed. This is the thing that's going to get me out of my funk. I'm going to prove something to myself with this purchase. And then it falls flat. This is a, I feel so stupid sharing this story, but no, because it's like, oh my God, like really a $70 steak, like how unrelatable can you be? I am just a very simple girl. I am not the $70 steak kind of girl, but I am undoing the like, the, the trauma of, of like not eating because I was scared to take up space. Um, I actually went through a phase when I was worried about money at one point in DC, I like my hair was falling out. I was so worried about money that I didn't eat. Evan would come home from work and look at the fridge and be like, what are you eating? And I would like, I, I don't see any, any food being taken from the fridge. Like, are you eating? And I was like, I guess not. And so now I'm like undoing that by being like, you are going to sit here and you're going to eat this $70 steak and you are going to be okay. <laughs> um, so I felt really stupid about that. But I was like, you know what? Like, take the lesson. Like, money doesn't owe you anything just because you put this pressure on it. Uh, I mean, you could argue that, like, I could have gone back and been like, hey, this isn't really good. Or can I get something else? Or whatever. But, like, just take... I just took the lesson. Like, some chef worked during a pandemic so that I could have this steak. Um, <laughs> somebody like used their labor, like an animal died for this. Like, I, I mean, I just took the lesson, you know, 
Um, so then all was fine and good. And I went to bed and then I woke up and I went downstairs, did my little walk around the casino, got my coffee. And then I started getting ready to leave and I get it started getting ready to check out. And the panic started to set on the, the, like, it was panic. My heart was racing so fast. And at first I was like, Ooh, maybe that coffee was too strong. I need to eat something. I need to drink some water. But I felt all this anger rise to the surface, like out of nowhere. Nobody said anything or did anything. I was perfectly in my little zone of peace. It was out of nowhere. Um, This anger was rising and like usually taking a little walk and getting some fresh air helps me with that. Listening to, I listened to a really uplifting podcast, but I like, I, I did something that I've never done before. I actually have heard a lot of people doing this, but I actually finally tried it for the first time. I like picked up a pillow and I screamed into it and then I stopped and then I was like okay this wasn't enough like that wasn't enough uh and then I did it again and then again I think I screamed to this pillow three times and then I just started punching it and punching it and I just felt so much rage in my body and I I don't think I talk about this a lot but I have a very poor relationship with anger um growing up I was always very attracted to partners friends people in my life who I let into my life into my life like intimately um such as friends and and, like romantic partners not Evan, he's like the only exception, but everyone else um, had anger issues. Like you could do one thing and they would flip out. You could, um, you know, not say hi to them first and they would flip out. You could make them wait for something or, you know, say something in the wrong way and they would flip out. Like um, I had a friend who punched a hole in a wall. I had a friend who knocked over a table and I could like, I was just so traumatized from texting because um, that you could never tell the tone and I would say something and then they would call me and scream at me and be like, what is with that tone? And I'm like, what do you mean? So I just like had so much trauma around anger and I just kind of internalized this idea that like angry people are stupid. Like ang- I internalized this. Um, I'm not saying it's right. But angry people are stupid. They don't have control over their emotions. If you scream, if you flip a table, if you curse, if you like slam a cabinet, if you kick something, you are stupid. Like you have less control over your emotions and only the highest intellectuals, you know, control their anger, (laughs) which is true. Like I do think it, it takes an emotional intelligence to alchemize the emotion of anger in your body to be productive and to not hurt somebody or hurt a thing or break something. Um, my mom actually broke things a lot when she was angry. She would throw them something or um, slam something, break something. And that to me just seemed destructive and it never seemed to make her a happier person. So I just learned that anger was embarrassing and humiliating. So I was like super humiliated and I was like, oh my God, where is this coming from? Like I shamed myself the whole way through and I just like screamed into my pillow a million times. And then I realized like, I'm just going to let myself be angry. Um, So I was just, I was just pissed. I like felt the feelings of being pissed. I didn't direct them at anybody. I didn't, I wasn't cursing anybody or yelling or anything like that. But I was just pissed. Um, So I got my luggage because it was time to check out. Um, I loaded everything up and I walked away. And I was just like mad in the car. I didn't listen to any music or anything like that. I was just angry. And so I walk away and I realized like, oh my God, 
I was, I like, I let an old version of me die. I was so scared that entire time that I was at the Paris hotel. I was so afraid of what someone would think about me. Um, and I mentioned like my mom gave me a Christmas present. Like I, I mean, a birthday present. I came home and she set up a tree for me, a, like a birthday tree. So instead of a Christmas tree, a tradition my mom has for me is she makes a Christmas, a birthday tree. I'm sorry. It's a Christmas tree, but it's a birthday tree. So she puts like birthday ribbons on it and she'll like put little tiny presents inside of it. And I came home feeling guilty. Like I shouldn't have this. My mom should have gone. I should have taken my mom with me. I should have pampered my mom. Um, I'm so selfish. I'm so selfish. I'm so selfish. I mean, side note, I did get a lot of work done. I got a lot of writing done. I got a lot of, um, I like filmed content for people. I filmed reels. I had client meetings. Like, man, I was so productive in that time because my energy opened up so much and I allowed myself to feel supported and cared for and like clean, like sleep in clean sheets. And like, I, I, at one point I laid on the floor and like the floor was clean and there was no dog hair on it. Like I just felt, I don't know. And that, that bathroom was just so open and airy and like everything was just so spacious. And it was only me that I had to worry about. I didn't have to worry about walking any dogs or um, what the dogs wanted or like, did you know, it was just, it was just me. Um, and I came home and I saw that my mom gave me a gift and I was just like, oh God, I don't deserve this. I think I literally said that out loud. I was like, I don't deserve this. I am so not worthy of this. And my mom called me out on that and was like, that's just a bullshit limiting belief. Um, so that was the, the stake was something that I learned. Um, and so there's the lesson of the stake and there is the lesson of what transmuting poverty trauma can look like. It's not a sexy thing and not everyone who is in, in taking luxury is used to it, I think. And if you are looking to expand, if you want to add a little more luxury to your life, my capacity for luxury, as you can maybe tell, is not massive. Um, I... I've never taken a first class flight. Um, I've never done a lot of things that maybe someday I want to do. Um, there's a lot of luxury that still feels incredibly foreign to me, but I am on a mission to change that. And it's not because I want to be this person who racks up my carbon emission and just like wastes more and just buys whatever the fuck I want. In reality, what I want is more options. And I want to be specific about what cut of meat I buy and like how the animal was treated and what types of fabrics I'm using on my skin and like what what what's best for my energy that week like am i doing myself a service by um you know for example for example if i were to go book a room at the paris hotel for one night would i really be getting what i wanted like you check in at four and then you have to leave by 10 the next day like for me to be there for one evening, am I really doing myself a service? Like, so that was something I grappled with when I've had to book two nights because my intuition said so. <laughs> um, versus, um, versus not, or like if you go um, on a vacation and you don't arrive there comfortably because you had to like, you know, get the cheapest thing. Like, I just want options. Um, I, like I said, I've never flown first class but I think like I imagine that when you arrive at your destination you just are probably more well rested so if you have to get there for some reason and you have to be functional as soon as you arrive I think about one time 
I flew to a photo shoot from Washington, D.C. to Phoenix. I flew in for a photo shoot and I sat like in the middle seat. Um, I couldn't sleep, I whatever. And I was like, you know, if I had gotten first class, like just dreaming, I was obviously not mad about it or anything like that. But I was like, you know, this is actually a good opportunity to think like maybe next time I would get first class so that I would sleep well, feel comfortable, arrive there and um, and just feel well rested and feel my best and to continue to give my best and um, just like and, and, and changing my belief on that and seeing all of that differently uh, was huge for me instead of just being like, well, if you have to go here, if you have to travel, you might as well make it the smallest possible. Like, okay, you can go to the Paris, but don't you dare consider getting yourself uh, anything else. Don't look at anything else. Don't touch anything else. Um, and just allowing yourself to expand. So if you are curious about luxury, but there's something that holds you back. It can be poverty trauma or fear of judgment, fear of shame, fear of what other people are going to think of you, fear of when you get there, will it be disappointing? Like, what if you get that $70 steak? What if you fly first class? What if you go to that hotel and it's not everything you dreamed it to be? Like, what if it just is? And that's actually a very empowering twist that I put on on the steak thing is like sometimes it just is in the same way that I would go and get maybe like a seven dollar meal like if I go out to eat and get and pay seven dollars for like fast food or something that seems like a reasonable thing for me and if it's not amazing then that's okay so if I only paid seven dollars for it and it's not amazing like whatever it served its purpose I tried it now I can say that I've tried it it's fine but seventy dollars like what about that it's just like playing with that limit um, I remember going to Starbucks always felt like this frivolous thing. Like, oh my God, you're so crazy. And I loved upgrading to soy milk. Like, you know, you pay extra 50, 60 cents for soy milk. I loved upgrading to soy milk. I loved adding flavors into my coffee. But I was like, ooh, like, am I frivolous? Am I bad if I get this? And like, no, you're not bad. We're just experimenting with numbers and feelings in our lives. Um, and I know this topic can be a little bit spicy for some people um, as there is money trauma and money shame. And I just wanted to address it and put my twist on it and put this out there. So if you're listening, just know that like if you heard my story and you resonated with even a speck of this, I just wanted to say like continue to be an expander. If something triggers you, if something scares you, get curious about that and just play with it and and go forward and just not take this game of life so 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 seriously. I have so many takeaways from this, but I hope that you just took one from this. If one thing stood out to you, one thing felt like in alignment with you or like, "Ooh, I got to think about that." Like just play around with it. So as for luxury, if you're seeing luxury as like this elusive big crazy thing, um take one little thing and and play with that edge. So for example, um, you know, maybe get a large instead of a medium latte or something small, like just something that plays with that edge and see how you feel and what comes up for you. Um, 
one thing I did actually was, like I said, I've never booked first class, but there was one time where I knew I was, I was on a, going on a flight a few years ago and I knew that when I arrived, I was going to be tired, you know, and you're like, I know when I get there, I'm going to be exhausted. So I knew I was going to be tired. I knew I wasn't going to have, I wasn't going to want to dilly dally. So I paid an extra $40 to sit closer up front. So it wasn't front first class, but it was like, it was aisle one. So I was in the first row after first class. And I paid an extra $40 for that. And that was like a little luxury that I got used to. It was just like a little thing. Um, And I found that since I've started playing with this, I've gotten a lot of free upgrades. I've gotten a lot. So actually when I booked my, uh, when I checked in for the Paris hotel, I actually got there and the, there was like a check-in kiosk because everything is contactless because of COVID. So I checked in at the kiosk and it was like, you know, I, I paid I was checked in successfully and then I got an error message that was like, error, please see attendant. So I had to like go find a person and I was like, hey, it's giving me this error message. Can I just get the keys to my hotel? And he was like, yes, I'm so sorry about that. Let me upgrade your room because of the trouble. And so he bumped me up an extra 20, um, extra 20, uh, what is it called? Floors, sorry, an extra 20 floors. Because in certain Vegas hotels, and I think in lots of hotels, but specifically in Vegas, on the Strip with that skyline and that view, the higher up you go, the more expensive the hotel rooms are. So I think my floor originally was on floor 8. That's what I think I saw in my confirmation email. But I was on floor 28, which was, um, it, there was 33 floors total. So I was, I was pretty much up there. Uh, and I really, really appreciated that. Um, and like sometimes things like that happen, but sometimes also things like the steak story that happens too. And the lesson I took from this was like, normalize this, this is normal. And not that like, I'm going to fly away and become some snooty rich person, but I am normalizing options and, and not making the $70 steak that wasn't amazing mean something about me as a person and as a consumer and my value and my worth and I think what I what I would have thought before was like oh I need to be punished for that I need to um like like starve myself quote unquote financially I need to uh, you know I need to not um spend money for the next couple of days that was what my old belief would have been was I needed to like stay at home and not have fun and I actually noticed myself thinking that like, ooh, after this, I definitely can't have anything. But the next morning I got up and I got coffee and I got a croissant and I got my mom a muffin from a celebrity chef bakery. If you're familiar with Brioche by Guy, I don't remember his name, but he's a celebrity chef. Apparently I've never heard of him, but I couldn't even remember his name, but the, the shop is called, the, the bakery is called uh, Brioche and I got something from my mom and I just like leaned into that because my higher self, I've noticed my intuition always wants me to lean in to these moments where I'm like, Ooh, that's too scary. I can't do that. Like my higher self is always like, get one more thing. So like last example I'll leave you with is, um, Evan and I went to yellowtail, which is like a premium, um, Japanese restaurant right on the Bellagio, um, right on the Bellagio fountains. And I was so scared when I got there. I was so, so, so in my head. I was so like, Ooh, I can't have this. I can't have this luxury. And I was like, okay, you're just going to get, 
your entree and you're going to leave. Don't look at the dessert. Don't look at the anything else. Just get your expensive entree and leave. That's where we got the $50 king crab. Um, and I get there and the waitress is like, can I get you guys anything to drink? And I had already rehearsed in my head about a thousand times that I, we weren't going to get any drinks because it was too expensive and like too much and too much, too much. It's all so too much. But my, I felt this from coming from a place of my intuition, my higher self. My higher self said, yes, I'm going to have this dragon fruit gin cocktail. And it was like something came over me and ordered this thing for me as opposed to me like thinking about it or whatever. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but I've noticed that my higher self always wants me to upgrade and always wants me to like play around with like, ooh, yes, and like, Instead of coming in and being like, I'm just going to get this one thing and I'm going to leave. But being like, ooh, what else? Um, Just to prove to myself that not everything is going to crumble. When I started to eat healthier and I started to clean up my diet a little bit, I used to go grocery shopping. I literally used to go grocery shopping at the 99 cent store um, because I was so afraid of spending money. So I would get my groceries at the 99 cent store. I would get like a box of microwave cheese like a cheese grilled cheese i would get a box of microwave pizza i would get chips i would get uh, soda at the 99 cent store because that was quote unquote adulting that was the smart decision to get the cheapest food that was something that i genuinely believed when i moved out of my parents house um then my health started to tank and i started getting a lot of weight gaining a lot of weight and i was like okay i need to you know, (laughs) maybe start eating healthier. And I started doing research on like healthy food. And it scared me to spend that extra dollar or so on the like, on spinach versus not spinach, you know, like on, um, like I wanted to start drinking almond milk because I was drinking a lot of dairy milk at the time. And I wanted to switch to almond milk, but almond milk was always pricier. And like, that was just so scary to me. All of that was so scary. So now I just, I I always got like the smallest thing. I would get like one serving of something or two days worth of something instead of the bigger one that would ultimately send you save you more money. But anyway, I have a lot of stories around money. I can talk about this more if you guys are interested. Uh, but for now, I'm going to leave you with that. Um, go out there and just change your life, whatever that looks like. Just expand yourself, change your life. Okay. I love you guys. Um, bye bye. Thanks for listening.